Welcome to The Ladder, a podcast series for aspiring turf managers currently climbing the career ladder, and also for those already at the top who would like to better understand their Generation Y staff members. Sit back, settle in, and enjoy. Welcome to this episode of The Ladder, brought to you by Steck Equipment. I'm your host today, John Reitman, and our guest is Carlos Araya, Superintendent at Bell Reeve Country Club in St. Louis, Missouri. Carlos, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. You and I had an opportunity to spend some time together a couple of months ago, and you were talking then about a team-building approach that you have incorporated with your staff. And, Carlos, you have the PGA Championship coming up later this year, so doing things as efficiently as possible, obviously, is something that would be very important to you. Important to every superintendent, but more so this year as you have a major coming up. Can you tell us a little bit about the team-building approach that you have in place there at Bell Reeve and how that all started? Oh, absolutely, John. It's well. What we <clears throat> one of the things that when I officially took over the role here, we had uh, a great predecessor. So it's tough to follow someone who's a great leader. So how you know taking taking notes from him, listening to what was occurring, and then bringing the team in. When I wanted to create a different work culture that was one that allowed for a lot of uh, you know conversation that was pretty organic sometimes raw which is not always good but it's something that we would desired and um fortunate that we had we have a great team from the AIT's interns assistants and what we found was you know that a lot of the times you know I was I have a tendency to be too much of a control freak which is in a lot of ways good but then at the same time it doesn't allow for growth so Nearly picking their brains and being kind of vulnerable to, okay, what can we do? What, what's something a little bit different? Um, aside from job descriptions, how do we, you know, delineate responsibilities? And, again, I go back to John, who was here before me, and it was, okay, one guy's going to do operations, one guy does project work. Well, we want to get deeper than that. So we basically, what we define as the championship pillars, every individual got a set of six items that were uniquely part of their everyday routine and they had to check those off and then they and, and what the desire was for them to take ownership of those six but still be able to have a peripheral view of all the other things that were happening in, in the operation they can look over their shoulder and see that their peer is, is is working on a specific task and they can more they're more than they're encouraged to ask hey let's talk about what you're doing why you're doing it that way how about this so feedback was important in that but it just gave them a, a level of ownership in what we call their own pillar and their pillar is really a key to the whole team's success. And what we found was that as time went on, that they found that they got they got more ownership over that. They felt like they knew exactly what they were going to be doing day to day without wondering, okay, what's my role going to be as the assistant today or the second assistant? It was like, I know exactly what I'm going to do. Here's our plan. And this is how it impacts others. So it forces the individual to look at, okay, my decision is going to affect someone else, opposed to I'm just going to go do the job. So, again, it gave a lot of life to the assistants and the interns and the AITs, and it's got it's just grown. It's interesting when you, you put them all in the room and say, you know, when this first started, everyone was looking around like, I only get six specific things. You know, you you want to do more, and that's kind of in our industry's DNA, want to do a lot. Uh, we're We're kind of bred to do a lot with little. And they were forced to change that. Okay, if we're going to be really good and precise and we're going to not have a lot of mistakes, you have to be really good at these six things. You have to be good at these six things. Um, and they've been, you know, they've been great at doing that. They've enjoyed it. I want to backtrack just a little bit. You had briefly mentioned your predecessor. And for those who aren't aware, 
you succeeded John Cunningham. Tell us a little bit about your experiences working with John and John is now the general manager at Aronimank in Pennsylvania, but just the whole history between you two and what you were able to glean working for him. <laughs> the podcast could get really long. <laughs> well, no, I'll give you the uh, the quick version. So I, 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 like many others, you know, I've looked. I was looking for a mentor, and I uh, where I was working, um, it was a great club, but I was looking for someone to really grow me as a as a young turf professional. And um, I met John. I, I got a chance to work for him um, back at Black Diamond back in 2001 through 2005, and. Um, he became a mentor and a best friend, just like many others. So, like any great leader, you love them and hate them sometimes because they make you get out of your comfort zones and they really challenge you to grow. And uh, so, I worked for him, and he really polished me off and became a superintendent myself. And then, first stint was a GM myself. And then all of a sudden, I got back into the golf course superintendent role. And then the opportunity presented itself here. So, I'm I'm one of like two people or three people that have worked for John more than once. I like to I like to tell everybody I'm the only one that he's left, so I think I've succeeded him. So that's the good part. Um, but you know, working for someone who's who is focused on people and leadership and business, yet has the agronomic excellence that he kind of required of us was a unique uh, opportunity, and it really for me it helped really define what a 360 view of management is. You know, you, you think about you have to have good quality conditions. I mean, that's just a given. That's not even a conversation anymore in our business. When you when you go to a conference or even when you go to the Sedential Business Institute like you and I went to and we met, is it was all about the business. It was all about the people. It wasn't anything about the grass all the days I spent there. So that's what's happened in our industry. And I happened to work for a gentleman that, and John that was doing that way before it was become a, an industry standard, which was unique. I felt like uh, he's helped me and many others kind of push themselves into that kind of new era of, of management um, through those years of working for him. You had been a superintendent and a general manager and elected to come back and work for John a second time because, as you mentioned, you thought you needed polish. That's a lot to give up to go back to working for somebody. What was that whole process like? Wow. Yeah, it was tough. I mean, you know that at that point, you know, when I first worked for John in 2001, gosh, I, I must have been 22, 23, and then coming, coming to Belle Reve and working for him at 37, 38. I mean, that's a that's a big difference. You you change a lot in 15 years. I mean, you look at life and management totally different. I, I would use the word. Uh, it really. I had to pause a lot. I really. I'm really. I'm really. I want to go. I'm one of those. I'm impatient. I don't have a lot of patience. So I had to really understand my role. And before I got here and under, accept that, and I was able to do so. And it took a lot of energy to do it. But at the same time, it you know when you when you commit to something of that level and saying you know I'm gonna grow, I just got to be patient. You'll see the rewards down the end. And that's what happened to me. For you know for another 12 months, I was able to work for him and really got the chance to see what the Midwest environment was like, running a championship club, a historic club. Um, what that means, what that, you know, a lot of people say, wow, you get an interview at a job, but you really don't know the history. The great part about 
coming here and being, I'll just call it reserved a little bit, understanding that I was being deposited into. It allowed me the opportunity to really understand the complexities and the, the importance of working at a club such as Bell Reef. So it was twofold. It helped me really grow on my patient side and helped me understand what uh, championship and historic golf was like. And, you know, him, him and I's relationship, I mean, that's, that's just always going to continue to be there. I don't know if I'd work for him a third time, though. I think that would be pushing it for me, though. So when he left last year to go to Aronimank, does so on the eve of the PGA Championship. Describe the feeling of having that dropped in your lap. Oh, oh boy. Um, well, I mean, it was, I, I, we all kind of knew. I mean, one of the great parts about coming to Belle Reve, I'd have to back up a little bit, is um, I knew that there was a succession plan, and that succession plan uh, included me growing into the role I'm in. Uh, forget titles for a minute. It was kind of a leadership role. Um, I knew John was um, continuing to trend in the way that he wanted to see big clubs and manage and lead big groups. Um, you could see that many years ago, but it was becoming more and more real through his own professional development. Um, so when it came that, hey, he had an opportunity, wasn't surprising. I guess the timing would be the one thing I would tell you was surprising. Um, as far as what that feels like, it's kind of surreal. You say, okay. You, you know, when the great thing about uh, going back to the original question, the first question about working for John and what was that like being reserved, well, all of a sudden I had to activate all those leadership skills, right? I had to all of a sudden, you know, tap in and then let this, this operation and my leadership come through differently. So everyone that I was working with me or for me at the time was going to see a different Carlos. So that was a little bit of a challenge, and that's really where the the championship pillars, the buy-in came from. To say, okay, I still want you to. There's an inc- there's inclusivity. We have stability. Um, it was surreal, but uh, I would say it was an honor and a little little frightening too, because you you, you thought you were going to do it with uh, a mentor and a best friend, and now you're going to do it with a different group. Um, but you know, it was good. I think when you're able to kind of get through all the feelings and say it, you say, okay, you activate the leadership side. You start focusing in on priorities, the team, the work culture, and the agronomics, and the scheduling, and it just, it just gets bigger. So um, it just becomes a little bit more nerve-wracking when it's just you, but you got a good group of uh, people around you, it's okay. Bounce back to your pillars again for a moment. Can you give us a specific example of this program and – how your team has chosen to handle it. Uh, yeah. So, you know, the traditional, and I think this is what you're referring to with Amy, when we were at Syngenta Business too, we were talking about, you know, examples of how you lead a group and anything unique. And it's so top, top heavy in our industry. You basically, you have the superintendent, you have the assistants, and, you know, if you're fortunate, you have other layers of intermediate management, and then you have your team um, of operators and landscapers or whatever the titles may be. And, uh, at the top, you're dictating all the decisions. I mean, you're you're telling people, hey, you're going to do X, Y, and Z. And when I talk about the pillars, different than, you know, the traditional top-down, top-down is like a triangle. Well, the, the pillars, to me, are kind of a foundation of everyone's kind of on a level playing field. Everyone has the same level of responsibility. I don't really care about your title. I worry more about you developing what you need, what are your strongest skills, and allowing you to maximize those so you find enjoyment. What is it that you enjoy the most? And 
So that's really where the pillars came, and I started filling in those specific skill sets. So we have a, an individual here who's very extroverted. He's very, you know, open to talking to people. So we put him on the front lines. Okay, you're going to be the guy communicating to the golfers. Well, what do you mean? You're going to be communicating. You're going to do X, Y, and Z. You're going to be the guy, and uh, and you're going to be the guy that's going to train the interns. Why? Because you like you like to be focused on individuals. That's who. That's what you're made of. That's what's natural to you. So not just the agronomic skill. What's the behavioral skill? So we attach that to him. Another one, one of our other assistants is very operationally based. He's very much into, you know, bunker rakes are going to go this way. That's the way it's supposed to be. Here's how we schedule. Well, guess what? He's focused on scheduling the staff. So he makes sure that the standards of the clubs are met. He's best fit for that from his behavior. So that's how we, you know, what I define the, the pillars to be is giving someone what they're really good at naturally and from a professional development standpoint, those specific tasks and then the things they're not so good at, trying to pass those on to someone who's really good at them. And we're at a, I'm at a club that we have enough uh, employees to do so. And I would argue that if you only had two employees, it'd be even more critical because, you, you know, the room for error is smaller. How have they taken ownership of that process? The, the great part about it is they ask, hey, how are we doing there? You know, opposed to saying, well, I, I wonder why I'm not doing that. You know, when I've asked them, hey, what do you want to do this? Or do you want to do that? They've been, you know, hey, I get it. I get my championship pillars. I get where I'm going to go. Um, I'm focused in on, you know, what I need to do. We still have a lot of one-on-ones. We do what I call weeklies. So if, in those weeklies, there's times that someone will say, man, I really wish I was more involved in that. And said, hey, you'll have an opportunity to do that. But remember, you have to grow in this area before you're able to do that at the same level that he or she's doing it. So it's a lot of transparency in the weeklies, um, and it gives them really a what I call a safe net of development. And we can be pretty brutally honest about where they're lacking and what they need to elevate um, in their work, everyday work, before they can do take on those responsibilities at a level that Bellery would expect. The end result that you're looking for would be personal growth of the members of your team and productivity and job performance. How has this program translated to help meet those two ends? Well, I'm, I'm, I think I'm a little bit uh, biased because right, cause I, I come up with this thing. I don't want to say it's some sort of new trend. I'm sure guys are doing something different. I just try to find ways to present it to the guys where they could understand that it's important. But uh, And I say gals, too, because we have both male and female. But um, I, I think it's worked tremendously to provide, the, more so than development, open and honest, tough conversations. We, I would tell you now that we don't need annual reviews. I, I would say that to our club. I, we don't need an annual review. Why? Because we're having reviews every week, every day, because we're talking through some of the things that someone isn't doing really well. Even when they think they're supposed to be really good at it, we found things that they're not that good at. And it, it's pretty, there's a lot of humility that comes involved into, man, I, man, I forgot that. Or, man, that rate, I, I missed that rate of an application or the timing was off. Well, man, I should have done this. Oh, I didn't think about the golfers coming off the back. Or It gives them the opportunity to see what it's going to look like. Like they get a snapshot of what it'll be like when they are in, in turn in charge of an operation. So a, a lot of the conversation shifts. So how do you keep all this in your head? You know, they start turning it on me. How did, how are you able to keep all this, you know, organized and stay so positive? And it really lets them know that they have a long way to grow. So I think it's working great. And I think they buy into it because they understand where there's gaps in their own professional lives. 
would be really easy, I think, to bypass a program like this and say, look, you know, we, we just have to get through the next year. And this is what we're going to do through the PGA Championship. It says a lot about how important you think this program is that you're able to implement it with a major championship coming. Yeah, I I, I would tell you that uh, <laughs> one of the interesting parts you talk about, you know, you can't change it or you can't give up some control. I think a lot of it's our own fault, right? I mean, our, as superintendents, we want to do so much. I mean, think about how much we're doing every day. I bet we make a thousand decisions and they seem so natural. But if you give some of those up, and give someone else the opportunity to make some of those decisions. Now, with with moderation and understanding your risk, right, you don't want to expose your operation or your golf course. But the more we allow other people to do some of the jobs that we, in turn, really don't need to do, you'd be surprised how much you're able to get done and how much you're able to kind of, you know, forge the way forward. And um, that, that, to me, is pretty important because we always talk about work-life balance, we have people that work for us. We have half, 50% of our budgets are dedicated, if not more, to staff, yet we use them, and they're probably the most underused asset that we have as a golf course superintendent, just simply. You know, you say, well, well, I mean, this person, what happens a lot, a lot of times, I'll just do it. Man, I can't get – I'm just going to go real elementary and say, well, I just can't get someone to cut the cup. I, I'm not, I can't get anyone good to – no matter how much I train them, they don't cut the cup. At some point, it's not the person; it's the individual's natural behavior. That's not what he's cut out for, or she's cut out for. You gotta, you have to find that behavioral person that can really be detailed. And we, we won't get into all that, but that's how I, I feel about it. That you have to find the right niche to allow us as superintendents to do our jobs more effectively, because we are the front center of the club. So I think it's critical that programs like this exist. And um, some of the, 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 let's just call it the real successful supers have done this for a long, long time in different ways. They call it whatever they want. I call it pillar management. It's just a unique name. I read the book 12 Pillars that John pushed me to read, and it was a book that always kind of in my life and in my professional life, I'm like, look, you got to be a pillar. And the more pillars we have in the ground, the stronger the foundation. So and we've given out eight different pillars. Well, we had four. We were pretty good. Now we got eight. Now we're really strong. So if we can add another four and get out with a little bit more responsibility, then guess what? We're stronger as a unit. So I think it's crucial. I wouldn't. I don't think we could all of a sudden revert back now to a let's just call it the older school mentality. Carlos is making all the decisions. I'm not available. It's impossible. I can't be everywhere. Carlos, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate your time. It's very interesting learning about this, and good mm-hmm. luck moving forward with the PGA. Well, thank you very much, John, for having me, and uh, I look forward to uh, showcasing it to the world here in a couple months. With a commitment to quality and a passion for sourcing the latest innovations from Europe and North America, Steck Equipment has grown to be the go-to supplier for specialized turf equipment. Check out their line of phrase mowers, material handlers, laser graders, vacuum sweepers, blowers, verticutters, and seeders, decompactors, sand fillers, and much more at steckequipment.com. That's S-T-E-C equipment.com. 